Namaste and welcome to the Bharat Varta Weekly. I'm Roshan Karyapa. We have a guest with us today, Abhishek Paul, Nirav Kanodra, and uh, Prasanna Vishwanathan, who's returning to us uh, to the weekly after a long hiatus. Hi, everyone. Hope all of you are really good and excited about the weekly today. Uh, we have a bunch of things that we want to cover. Prime Minister Modi is on a three-nation trip to Europe. Uh, the RBI hiked rates last week, which wiped out 12 lakh crore from the market. Uh, the health ministry had an interesting response uh, to the WHO's excess death report. Uh, and then uh, in other news, uh, Delhi BJP leader Thajinder Bhaga was arrested uh, and perhaps released afterwards. Not sure about that. And then there was the case of uh, the Indian envoy's uh, response to uh, the Dutch ambassador on Twitter. So we have plenty to cover today. With that, let's get started. Uh, we also put out an interesting episode on the India-UK relations last week. Of course, uh, Nirav myself spoke to uh, Sunil Sharma of the CFOC. Uh, very comprehensive discussion on plenty of aspects on trade, economy, uh, you know, political relations, geopolitical relations, and so on and so forth. Uh, do check it out. Uh, it's a fascinating episode. Um, with that, moving on to the first piece of news. Over the last week, Prime Minister Modi made visits to Germany, France, and Denmark. The main purpose of the tour was to hold a series of bilateral meetings to boost ties in a range of areas, including trade, energy, and green technology. In Germany, he met uh, with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and discussed key areas of bilateral cooperation under the overall strategic partnership. In Denmark, the Prime Minister met Fredriksen and uh, spoke on post-pandemic economic recovery, climate change, renewable energy, and the evolving global security scenario. In France, he held a talk with uh, President Emmanuel Macron on issues of bilateral and mutual interests, as well as regional and global developments. Uh, Abhishek, it's an interesting time to visit Europe, uh, isn't it? So what do you make of the significance of these visits? Yeah, so I think a lot of uh, people, given India's neutrality in the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict, a lot of people had been you know, commenting that this could lead to worsening of ties of India with the West, including US and various European countries. The various uh, diplomatic visits both to India and by Prime Minister Modi or Foreign Minister Jay Shankar to various countries kind of shows that uh, no such thing has at least happened prima facie, right? So we had uh, Boris Johnson visiting India, we had the uh, EU head visiting India, and then uh, we had this trip uh, by Prime Minister Modi to various European countries. So clearly, all uh, all that speculation is was not warranted. So what has happened or what is emerging from these meetings is that these countries are getting a better appreciation and understanding of India's uh, position vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Also, I think several countries are also looking at it as an opportunity to get India closer, especially on things like uh, defense, right? Where I think it is, if you are sort of looking at it in an objective manner, it is, uh, both facts are true, like that India has a very big dependency on Russian arms at the same time, over time, the dependency has been re reducing. So the trajectory is also clear that India is looking to diversify as much as possible. And so this is also an opportunity for countries like, uh, let's say, France, with whom we have good defense cooperation to, you know, take it to the next level as well. That trend is also continuing. Uh, uh, in these visits. Also, of course, uh, India is now seriously considering and working on various free trade agreements. Like we've concluded one 
uh, with the UAE and Australia. We are working very seriously uh, with the one with Britain. And also the one with EU is also on the horizon and uh, tentative timeline is like next year, right, for that one. So on all these fronts, uh, there is some good traction between India and uh, these European countries. Another topic which is probably very uh, near and dear to the hearts of some of these countries which are leaders of some of these countries which Prime Minister Modi met that is the Scandinavian countries is of course climate change and green energy and all that and uh, to be fair India has always uh, also shown its willingness right to move to these green sources of energy right that is also one more area of good cooperation that is possible you know with uh, Europe. All in all, I thought it was a good short trip uh, with some of the key European countries. I, I mean, I'm curiously looking at how things develop on the defense front and the FTA front. Yeah. No, I think it was a very warm welcome as well, especially in Denmark, uh, where the Prime Minister uh, was uh, met at the air- airport itself, right? Very interesting. Moving ahead. A hike in the repo rates by the RBI saw rupees 12 lakh crore wiped out from the equity markets last week. Uh, in an unscheduled policy announcement, RBI Governor Mr. Shakti Kantadas pronounced the repo rate increased by 40 basis points to 4.4%, a first since August 2018. Besides, uh, Mr. Das also increased a CRR or cash reserve ratio by 50 basis points to 4.5% in a bid to suck liquidity out of the system. Several stocks uh, swung widely as investors assessed the impact of aggressive tightening of monetary policy on economic growth and corporate earnings. Both the Sensex and Nifty had posted their worst fall in two months. On Tuesday, uh, on Tuesday, after RBI's uh, surprise announcement, Nirav, uh, well, this was long expected that uh, you know the low interest uh, rates party would soon end. But would you say right now is a timely measure for us to curb inflation? And you know how should people respond to this? So I think uh, basically you have to go back to like uh, pre-COVID. So during COVID, everybody cut rates, right? So India also cut rates. Uh, the central bank has to kind of balance between growth and inflation. The focus was that uh, revive growth whichever way is possible. So that was the right thing to do at that time. And now what you're seeing is, it's not just India, by the way. So uh, the US Federal Reserve hiked by 50 basis points last week. Reserve Bank of Australia hiked by 25 basis points. Bank of England hiked, right? So everywhere, the kind of easy money, low interest policy that you had kept was appropriate at one point of time. And now you have to slowly exit it. So I think this was because it was an unscheduled meeting. It was the just the day before uh, or like earlier in the day, whereas uh, US uh, FOMC was later that night, that this was a surprise. But I think this is now kind of market should expect it. And uh, you will see that obviously for uh, companies, uh, the cost of borrowing goes up a bit. Or if you're just using a discounted cash flow model, the future cash flows. So very high growth stocks is a little bit more negative for it. Uh, for I would say consumer durable, the consumer staple kind of stocks, uh, they have the pricing power also to pass on inflation to the customers. They will be less affected. So yes, as in these things, cycles come and go. All central banks globally are now worried more about inflation and all politicians are worried about inflation. And this is a global phenomenon. You've had supply chain disruptions due to COVID and now China is still not exited out of COVID. You've had higher oil prices even before the Russia war. Disruption on food as well because of Ukraine not being able to supply food to Europe. So I think there are quite a few things. 
so all central banks are focusing more on inflation instead of growth and uh, you should see some more rate hikes so see it's you have to look at the things in a balanced way so it's good for savers i think the fd rates will go up uh, so this is just first of many hikes it's bad if you have uh, like a floating rate mortgage or you are heavily indebted uh, the windfall that you had in the last 2 years was expected to be temporary so that's what it is i think rbi overall has done quite a good job managing through the whole pandemic and even now uh, it is appropriate maybe they should have been done in a scheduled meeting uh, in may itself and just wanted to highlight like last week you all spoke about gst collections are strong uh, export numbers are the highest ever or all growth indicators are reasonably strong so it's not as if these few rate hikes are going to derail anything right it is just that you are now your focal point of worry is more inflation which if it goes over 7 8% that's eating into your everyone's savings this is a prudent measure and yeah i think you will keep seeing a rate hike every two months every scheduled meeting uh, for a few meetings at least so uh, that's the same globally as well so that's about it and these are exceptional times right i mean we're coming off of a pandemic uh, there's the war going on in europe uh, with perhaps the biggest commodity exporting nation in the world right oil prices are high i mean uh, nirav so what do you make of this uh, thing that you know we're headed towards stagflation right i mean low growth uh, high inflation uh, high high unemployment and a bunch of other uh, you know bad things are happening all together i think see there is like it's it's quite different for all like you would say like the big blocks if you look at it so for us it's very different because in the us uh it's a flat it's flat on oil because it's a oil producer and a largest consumer and it has very low unemployment right now right but very high inflation in us the inflation is 8.5% in more than india right so us is kind of okay europe is a bit hit because of very high energy costs especially natural gas and with sanctions on russia and uh, ukraine not being able to produce food those kind of things are hitting uh, europe quite badly where the growth is bad us growth is still strong then you look at like the other block which is like china so china is still stuck they are not getting out of covid they have a dynamic zero policy so their inflation is not a problem but growth is a problem because everything is shut services are shut so india is somewhere uh, in between so india uh growth has been reasonably good i think employment is all coming back anecdotally india does not have very good employment data but anecdotally uh you can see that all the people migrant workers who went back to their villages have come back to the cities uh you are seeing so one way to measure is how much is the endrega so how much is the endrega outlay so that has actually decreased after the pandemic so that's a positive sign your gst collection is a very timely monthly number so that is doing well that is a positive sign but that's the formal part of the economy right and uh, inflation which we measure and it comes out every month that has crossed 7% so i think that's a worrying sign so i think india will have issues of higher energy prices but food india doesn't import much only palm oil from indonesia and malaysia and indonesia again has put a ban on it so uh, maybe india grows so i think india needs to move out of agriculture from growing too much cereal and maybe a little more like ground nuts or sunflower seeds or whatever to rebalance right so that but india bulk of the food is all domestically grown and that is also like a lot of it is via pds channels so uh, there's not high inflation there so i think india is reasonably pushing right so growth is going to be there india does not have a big growth problem so that's a positive it has an inflation problem right now hopefully with greater manufacturing push more plis so existing plis delivering sorry and uh, as increasing exports which generates a little more employment i don't think employment or growth is an issue it's just so our, what rbi has done is appropriate to tackle inflation so 
ஹெல்த் <laughs> India has been consistently objecting to the methodology adopted by the WHO to project uh, excess mortality estimates based on mathematical models despite this uh, WHO released the estimate without adequately addressing these concerns abhishek you know we've seen uh, especially over the last couple of years that you know covid has seriously uh, dented the credibility of the WHO right uh, should we even take this report very seriously so i mean it depends on what your objective is like if you want to criticize the government i'm sure you will take it seriously <laughs> uh, so i was just looking at some of the numbers by this report so interestingly if you go by the numbers from this report and compare it to so so what these guys are saying is like 4.74 million deaths have been undercounted so like the total death count is about 5.2 5.3 million for india uh, so i was looking at the numbers for the us right so us they have said about 900k odd uh, deaths undercounted by 2021 which takes let's say their tally to uh, 2 uh, 2 million right so if even if we believe their numbers in that case still at a per capita basis india's deaths are lower than you know the covid deaths in us so i think these guys have done some very high level uh, estimates looking at income level of a country and so if you are a poor country they have assumed that you will be undercounting much more right and obviously among the poorer countries india is by far the biggest country right so obviously the maximum number of uh, excess deaths that they have sort of put is uh, on india so uh, at a per capita basis it doesn't look actually that bad but just given the size and scale of india and also the fact that no similar comparable numbers come out for china right for whatever reason whether they believe the chinese numbers or they are scared of china i don't know but uh, uh, so so basically what ends up happening is that india's uh, outlier death look really big and compared to any other country at a, at an absolute basis yeah. so i think my view is that look obviously uh, during pandemics some amount of statistical undercounting does happen and i am also sure that some similar things would have happened in india now the question is whether it is 10x like this report suggests or uh, i think there was one published in lancet which was putting it at about 6 or 7x or i think there are various other people who have estimated a more moderate scale of 2 to 3x what would have happened is probably the maximum undercounting might have happened in during the peak of the second wave right in april may of 2021 but it's unfair to assume that the system was totally broken down for the all of one and a half two years right so even if you assume that let's say we undercounted a lot of deaths in the peak of the mayhem right in april may it is not necessary that you know such scale of undercounting was happening uh, in the less 
uh, very long months, right? So probably a two to three x sort of undercounting is something which I feel is like more logical to look at. Uh, I think a lot of states are have opened up, you know, helplines for people to raise claims, uh, you know, for the family members who have uh, died so that, you know, they get whatever is the state sanctioned, you know, compensation for a COVID death. And in, I think I read some reports where in some states, the number of claims admitted by some of the state governments is higher than the official reported death. So I think, uh, and that's fine, like, you know, what is a COVID death itself was subject of big uh, debate and, you know, dispute among various people. Like, so, because, you know, it could be indirect things, right? Like uh, with the health machinery overstretched, you could have someone with a different ailment, right? Who unfortunately did not receive treatment on time and so on. So, uh, and, and there's no doubt that within India itself, there was a big discrepancy in uh, various states using different logics. So obviously throughout the world, you can imagine, you know, you have no, we have no idea, right? Which government was using which logic to count COVID deaths. Uh, I think one of the things used by the health ministry is uh, the 2020 um, civil death registration report, which has come out, which kind of says we had about 400 and 70 odd K of excess deaths in that year, 2020 versus the previous year, which is like a 6% increase. And obviously all of such deaths or increase cannot be attributed to COVID, right? Because there is a normal secular trend of increasing population leading to increasing mortality, right? So the 2021 report will be interesting whenever that comes out and will probably give us a somewhat better picture than whatever is coming out of some of these uh, extrapolation models. I mean, I personally feel, you know, when data fails us, I think you have to rely on anecdotes. And anecdotally, I mean, 50 lakh people, uh, you know, dying, right? It would have resulted in, uh, you know, mass chaos, right? I mean, um, definitely. And uh, this data that we've arrived at is also a triangulation of plenty of things, right? You know, uh, the compensation uh, data and so on. And that being off by 10x means that there are plenty of other things that are off then in that I case, think right? If you think from someone, people like WHO, I think their intention is almost to sort of highlight that, look, your country's health infrastructure is very bad, your country's whatever, like various systems and policies and health services all are very bad. I think that's the whole intention behind. So even if, let's say, we take benign intentions from their part, I think someone like WHO's, even if it's good intentions, it's like to sort of highlight and uh, say that, look, you need to really improve your health infrastructure to, you know, improve health outcomes, right? Like that's the best way of, if I were to give them, you know, good intentions. Of course, one other way of looking at it is, uh, it is to sort of show that some of the other countries whose official tallies are much worse, right? So give them some way out, right? Like these other poorer countries did, you know, much worse actually. So, yeah. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. I think the 50 lakh number doesn't really pass the smell test for me as well. No, surprisingly, surprisingly, the Chinese, well, not so surprisingly, actually, <laughs> uh, the, the Chinese numbers are lesser than their usual. Yes, 
so right? so it seems like even lesser people died than <laughs> what the chinese I mean, did i mean you can imagine the kind of pressure the statistician might have been under to come up yeah. with that so yeah so if you didn't know there was covid and you looked at yeah, the data you wouldn't really see a spike correct correct so yes. in fact in 2019 i think there were around 75 76 lakh like death registered and in 2020 it was around 81 82 correct Yes. so which is like maybe a 5% increase historically 6% yes 10 10% uh, in the 1% was the previous two years which you know broadly speaking i think our uh, registration system of death especially uh, given that you know there is a compensation in place and uh, we have a lot of insurance schemes now i think critics probably all harp on the fact that in the rural systems rural places apparently this does not work very in fact well. in fact one could so, argue that the first wave was very minimal in the rural area yeah, like, yeah. it was a very urban uh, phenomenon correct so, 2020 i think seemed like because partly attributable to the draconian uh, lockdown and all that stuff i think india kind of did well so i would actually wait for a much more robust system like our uh, crs system for 2021 there is a general acknowledgement that the wave was little brutal and there are certainly excess deaths and possibly you know like there has been undercounting actually so i, I mean i think like all these uh, like you said you know like even the quality of the team that prepares it is i'm not sure like how uh, multidisciplinary and it has the ability to understand the uniqueness of military context you know using one state take the rates to uh, calculate for across the country you know and like the same set of people who kind of uh, celebrate uh, quote unquote the kerala model are uh, you know okay with all this kind because of course the different indian states based on the quality of the public health dramatically different right so the one size fits all measurement itself is a very questionable way of doing it actually so yeah as it if you just look at like broad data so i think in 2019 there were 75 lakh deaths and i think india has about 2 crore births and uh, so like or 2 point something our population is increasing at 1% a year so you could expect right. 6% increase in deaths maybe 5% is due to uh, ailments or uh, some surprise cause this should kind of increase at about 1 to 2% a year second thing is a lot of people the death registry has to be done because wider insurance you have everybody even in villages uh now even women have right to like the property or whatever so transfer of title transfer has to be done uh you also have all the crematoriums uh require a death certificate and the death certificate in urban india so i think a lot of this india does a reasonably good job of collecting data about birth death demography so, so the story goes like this right so there is those few pictures of burning pyres in up so that means you know india is burning the death without registration or anything exactly. therefore 50 lakh excess deaths so, right? so that's how the dots are joined right oh, absolutely and then say from 80 lakh who passed away say in 2020 If you're saying that there are forty-seven lakh more deaths, right? No, so forty-seven uh, lakh is for twenty twenty plus twenty-one. Twenty twenty. So whatever. So forty-two. Like you just say that okay, five lakh was there excess. So uh, this kind of thing over two years, uh, as Roshan mentioned, right? It would be visible 
it would be you would see that india's debt population hasn't grown for say a particular year so those kind of things right and this you could see it anecdotally i think see a lot of people have their uh, specific agendas and either like to try and make other countries look good so make say probably like a poor country like india look bad or whatever else is there right or some lazy mathematical modeling and uh, lazy extrapolation uh so but yes we will we will see better quality data and uh, i think like these things by actually talking more about it we are giving more uh, uh this to their views right so i think it's better just left ignored yeah no for uh, i think anyone who wants to understand uh, india during covid uh, you know how the government handled it how the various uh, you know uh, ministries groups uh, everyone came together i uh, you know definitely check out this book called uh, uh, you know nation to protect by priyam gandhi modi uh, we hosted her on the podcast as well a very very data driven extremely uh, you know interesting uh, take on you know uh, what happened over the last couple of years well uh, all right to round things off uh, the indian un envoy's uh, response to a dutch diplomat had uh, set twitter abuzz uh, yesterday a tweet by carol von ustrom ambassador of the netherlands uh, to the uk advising india to to quote respect the un charter and not abstain in the general assembly went viral last week in response india's permanent representative to the united nations uh, mr ts trimurthy replied kindly don't patronize us ambassador we know what to do uh, the dutch ambassador then deleted his tweet after this uh, stinging response uh, nirav it seems like uh, you know dr jayshankar has uh, set the tone for how we must respond uh, diplomatically and others are uh, you know now following suit yeah so actually see to be fair uh europe all of the european leaders they are caught in the, like this very big shock uh they are too dependent on uh, russian oil and gas uh, they built like pipelines etc they were planning another pipeline which has been shelved for now and uh, they have kind of put partial sanctions on russia where they continue to buy oil and gas right as usual and uh, in fact they have been buying more because they're trying to stockpile for the winter so they are a bit shell shock uh two is uh, a lot of european countries uh still don't realize how big india has become and how much india has its own spine right so india always non aligned india was non aligned after being ruled by colonial powers uh joining any one camp would be giving up its sovereignty see that was what the thought process was maybe we chose a little more socialist path thinking that that was appropriate for india at that time whatever i kind of disagree with it but it is what it is and uh, it coincidentally so happened that economically western europe and usa did a lot better than eastern europe and russia but that wasn't like so much set in stone uh, when india was online two is now india is the world's fifth or sixth now it is like uh, biggest economy it's bigger than netherlands it is equal to like uh, britain and a little bit ahead of france right so india is a big enough economy india has its own spine and india will be uh, voting on for india's interests right so uh, it is a tricky balancing act uh, you think about it the uh, jayshankar said it that europe buys more in an afternoon than whatever oil india has bought and india has been getting 30 dollars a barrel discount for even the small amount that we are buying so i think it's uh this is the time where people realize that uh, india is not a country which can be told to do this or that right we vote on our own interests 
and we know what to do so we don't need any moralistic uh, kind of uh, judgment and uh, we don't tell them how to vote in other things right uh, we are not telling them all issues on which are frequently brought on to the un say about like kashmir or say about our border disputes with china we are not instructing them how to vote so we don't expect to be instructed how we should be voting so i think it's good uh, india is showing a spine uh, obviously as you mentioned uh dr jayashankar effect uh, is there but it's also i would say a little bit about uh political leadership it is about uh, confidence in our own economy uh, we've gone on from being a country which was receiving aid to which is actually supplying out things to people uh, we are like kind of becoming more resilient and uh, atmanirbhar so even for vaccines think about had this happened in 70s or 80s Viewed that vaccination last our uh, two years after rest of the world is vaccinated, right? With any leftovers, so I think all of these things, uh, India is self-confident and uh, exactly we don't tell them how to run their uh, political affairs. So we don't expect any uh, comment on what we should do as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that brings us to the end of the Bharatvarta Weekly today. Uh, we have some very interesting episodes coming up. We have a live stream with the former Prime Minister of Finland, uh, Mr. Alexander St- uh, Stuff, uh, uh, scheduled for the twentieth. This is part of our Velina Stock series with Velina Chakrova. Uh, we have another episode upcoming on India's uh, uh, space research program. I'm talking to a couple of uh, scientists to understand the latest developments. And finally, we also have an episode with. Uh, Uh, the author wing commander uh, vijay chatur uh, who has written uh, a book called vijay patra which is a translation of the zafar nama a letter uh, sent by shri guru gobind singh uh, in 1705 to uh, emperor aurangzeb um, this was uh, this uh, was hosted by uh, ami ganathra so plenty of interesting content uh, lined up uh, do stay tuned and thank you so much for joining us today